With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, one of my favorite guests, Yovan Bua, is in the building. And we wanted to talk about actual like sort of basketball things that could <laughs> maybe happen. Uh, I know that the off season is time for weird speculation about who the goat is, who's better than some ex player who is uh, historically better than Bob Cousy. Right. <laughs> but Those I don't plumbers. know. I kinda, <laughs> yeah. What, what plumber is better than Bob Cousy? <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk about something that could affect this upcoming off se- this upcoming season, and it feels like the Lakers to me are kind of the livest ammo team right now. They have the most going on. LeBron James just signed his two year extension, which is really a one plus one. Uh, they have the Russell Westbrook situation hanging over their heads a little bit. Uh, They've kind of even said it feels like that they're a little bit active right now, uh, unlike most teams. So I wanted to talk to Jovan just about what is happening with the Los Angeles Lakers and where they sit in the Western Conference hierarchy, because this is a weird situation where they have LeBron James, they have Anthony Davis, they have this strange situation that is Russell Westbrook kind of hanging over their head. They were very active in free agency, although I don't know how much their moves like actually change the direction for them and move the needle. So there's just a lot going on with the Lakers and I wanted to talk to Jovan. So what's going on, man? How's it going, man? It's uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fun, fun, but busy, but kind of not busy off season. It's been weird. It's been waiting in anticipation for something to happen. I guess LeBron's extension counts as something, but I think the big domino obviously is the Russ situation. So let's let's talk about the LeBron extension very quickly. Let's get that off of kind of the plate. So that was actually a really important domino because he was potentially a free agent next offseason if he wanted to be. And the decision to sign that extension now extends the window for the Lakers by one more year and gives them a little bit more certainty and clarity on what they should be doing with this Russell Westbrook situation. Do you kind of track that kind of across the board? Yeah. Yeah. I think this puts them honestly more on the clock to trade Westbrook and and make a more of a win now move just because you now have that certainty from LeBron that he's going to be here uh, at least one more year, if not two, depending on what happens with Bronny. Uh, be, because I, I think if if you're going all in and it was potentially going to, you know, potentially taking on in, in most scenarios, they're going to have to take on some longer term money. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, some of these, even if trading for a Kyrie, you're probably re-signing him or, or looking to re-sign him uh, ne- next summer. So I think for, for them to take on that longer term risk and, you know, they, they don't have some of their picks coming up that um, they have certain pick swaps, uh, you know, with New Orleans and stuff. So I think 
for them to to take on that risk and potentially trade uh, two draft picks for a franchise that again has uh, because of the Anthony Davis trade uh, has not had their full assortment of draft picks and has drafted really well as you and I have have discussed yeah. a, a few times. Like their, their track record is impressive, uh, but of course when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you are in win now mode, and uh, I think. That was already the case before the LeBron extension, but this to me is a signal that he, you know, they've had discussions on the future of this team. I think they're both on the same page that, as currently constructed, they're not a contender. And really, the only path to make a significant upgrade is trading Russell Westbrook. Um, so I think that is the path that they're going to pursue over the next few weeks. I think they're going to up their aggression in, in terms of offering making sure at least one pick is involved, but most likely two and trying to get something done with Brooklyn for Kyrie Irving, uh, Indiana, potentially with Buddy Heald and, and Miles Turner. Uh, I think Utah is kind of the, the dark horse here where uh, depending on what happens with Donovan Mitchell, it's kind of this weird like gridlock right now where you, you got the yeah. whole Kevin Durant situation kind of tying everything up with, with Brooklyn. But then you also have the Donovan Mitchell situation tying stuff up with New York and Utah. And I, I think if one of those situations gets resolved in the next few weeks which at least one of the two probably will uh i think that's where you could see that kind of fall into place for the lakers where if utah cleans house and and sends out donovan mitchell and just enters a full rebuild uh rebuilding mode then i think you could see you know uh boyan bogdanovich and pat beverly and, and jordan clarkson maybe to the lakers for Russ and uh, a pick, Russ and two picks, but one maybe one of the pick ha- picks has heavy protections or like a pick swap or something. Uh, but some type of deal where Utah recoups some assets and just kind of sends out uh, players that they don't really need. And then for the Lakers, it's not really moving the needle, but it, I think it's better than the status quo uh, because I, I think they need they're short on depth and kind of top tier talent. So I, at least in that scenario, I think you're increasing the, the depth of the near the top of your roster. So uh, I think the, the LeBron extension was a big domino. It really was like the, the two pillars of the offseason were going to be LeBron's extension and Russ's situation. And, the, right. you know, so far they're one for two and, and things going well. And uh, I, I think the, the next step is really just going all in on, on trading Russ and, and making the best of it. Cause they also have to get someone to take him on, right? You know, because I, I think a lot of the talk about the second pick is, you, you know, whether they're willing to include it, but you also have to find a team that actually is still willing to take him on, even with a second pick involved. And and that's not a certainty right now. Well, it's not the easiest thing in the world because his contract is so large. Yeah. Like that, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Just like mechanically, there are so few assets out there league wide that, or at least singular assets, where you can match his salary and then accept the picks, basically. Or that you want to match his salary with that player, because obviously most of the players in the league that have that high-end salary end up being guys that are max-level players. And at one time, Russell Westbrook was a max-level player. Unfortunately, he is not that guy really anymore. But it creates a very difficult spot where you have to kind of, you know, add up contracts to where you have to get to it. And like the jazz one is interesting, like Boyan, Jordan Clarkson, Pat Beverly, like you can kind of add up the deals that you need to, to make those 
kind of situations work uh, because of the deal that they accomplished for Rudy Gobert uh, because someone wanted Rudy. Uh, and unfortunately, it doesn't feel like a lot of teams want Russ at his current salary. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up the idea of LeBron's deal having them go one for two now, because it feels like from the reporting at the very least that the Kyrie Irving chase is largely in part being pushed by LeBron. That is what the media reporting tells you. And just to be honest, like I've been on vacation. I haven't really like tried to do a lot of reporting on my end uh, on this to see. So I'll just ask you, like, does it feel that way? Does it feel like to you that LeBron is kind of pushing the Kyrie Irving chase as opposed to the front office potentially trying to push for the Kyrie Irving chase? Yes. Um, Yes. That, that, that is my understanding um, from, from what I've been told. Uh, You know, I I think LeBron is aware that they need to improve the roster. I I mean, I, I think most people would, would agree on that, that, the roster isn't where they would want it to be for them to truly contend. Uh, and I think looking at the options, uh, I, I don't think it's uh, you know going out on a limb to say the Kyrie Irving trade is the trade that I think would move the needle the most for them. Uh, you, you know, you're getting back a top 15, top 20 at worst uh, player, at least offensive yeah. talent. And you know, again, I think depth would still be an issue for this team. But when you have three top 20 guys. We've seen that work historically, and I, I think you know Kyrie just fits so much better than Russell Westbrook. Even if it ends up, it yeah. probably wouldn't be a one for one. But even if it was, just kind of principally a one for one, um, you know, just his fit. Uh, I mean, we've seen it with LeBron already, but uh, I'm just imagining Kyrie AD pick and rolls, and, and just the options that you would have there, and his ability to, you know, what, one of the things that the, the Lakers really struggled with last year was, uh, you know, second consecutive season that LeBron and AD were both injured for for you know almost half the year and russ wasn't able to carry the load the the way he has in the past like that was part of the appeal of bringing in russ was like okay if lebron's out if ad is out russ can slide up be that second guy even be the the you know the focal point in in some scenarios and carry us the way he's carried uh you know mediocre supporting cast in okc or or washington um or, or helped in houston like but he didn't do that last year. They were 20 and 32 in games that LeBron and or AD missed that Russ played in. So like they were you know, basically that translates to their record of 33 and 49. Like they, they basically yeah. won at the same rate and Russ, you know, his numbers weren't dramatically better without those guys. Like, so I think, uh, you know, uh, I think that they're in an interesting spot because they, they have to get better. And I think Le- we know LeBron has a track record of, Never, you know, not being complacent, never really being happy with the roster, always tinkering and, and wanting to make improvements. And I think, you know, Kyrie has uh, expressed an interest in playing in LA, you know, earlier in the offseason. And um, I think now he's kind of walked that back a little bit and, and is being a good soldier and I think is content with staying in Brooklyn possibly. But um, I think if he does leave uh, Brooklyn, like LA makes the most sense. LA is probably the, the most interested suitor. And he has previously had an interest in, in playing in LA and, and playing with LeBron again. So um, I think part of that extension, part part of the talks with that was certainly strategy and how like what's the next step for us? How are we going to build out this team? And LeBron getting on board with that. So um, you know, because because I had heard, I, I'd basically been hearing for weeks that he's going to sign the extension. It's just a matter of when. But mm-hmm. there's also kind of the leverage play of it of. 
LeBron doesn't, you know, I, I think LeBron lost some leverage w- with the front office with the rust trade and, and just the way that that was such an epic failure. And, and he was one of the driving people behind that um, and, and ultimately signed off on it. Uh, so I think there's been kind of a loss of leverage there a little bit. And, you know, part of him regaining some of that was having this contract extension and kind of having that dangling carrot there. So uh, I think, I don't think, I also think LeBron is, is cognizant of like, you know, what, what's being reported and, and what's out there and his image. And, and we know he's very calculated. So I, I don't think, I don't think he would ever kind of strong on strong arm them like to that extent. But I think it, he's made it clear. He wants Kyrie Irving. He wants the roster to get better. You know, if they can't get Kyrie, get something that improves this team. Um, so that's, I think going to be the mission over the next month or so before training camp. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the idea of Russ being the guy that was like supposed to carry the load uh, when Anthony Davis and LeBron missed games. I was with that. Like, I, I actually like was ready to bet on the Lakers over. Uh, I don't know if I was ready to bet on the Lakers over 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 a uh, win total last year, but I was like, look, if there's anything Russ can do, Russ can just stem the tide for them. Like they'll be fine as long as one of those two guys is on the court with Russ. Like it'll be fine in the regular season, and then I would like kind of sell them in the playoffs. But uh, in the regular season, I thought it would be fine, and it ended up not being that. Uh, and it ended yeah, up being kind yeah. of a disaster. And yeah, it leaves Russ in a fascinating situation. Now, Russ obviously had a very public. Uh, I don't even want to say falling out necessarily public parting of the ways with his agent, uh, Thad Fouché earlier this off season. And in a move that I've just never seen in a high profile agent, uh, pull out before, uh, Thad Fouché said that he and Russ just have very different uh, opinions on where Russ's career is going. And he explained why. And in large part, it was that Thad thought that Russ should want to stay in LA and try and make it work there. Uh, a, can you ever remember an agent doing something like that? No. Cause I can't, that was why I've talked to people today. around, around the team or on the league and, and no, no, no one yeah. could, could recall anything this public. Yeah, that, that was pretty insane. And I talked about it briefly on the show with Fred Katz. When we talked about Russ, I thought it was not a move that an agent should pull, especially one that, uh, has been with Russ for over a decade, has made a lot of money with Russ, has uh, really done quite a good job of representing his best interests over the course of his career. And more importantly, in the case of Russ, a guy that likes to be a very private individual, you essentially just blew up the spot of a guy that, it, like, if we know anything about Russ, it's that he absolutely adores his privacy he wants uh as little information out there about him as possible and i I just didn't uh, that that didn't sit super well with me but in terms of the way that it impacts where this goes moving forward where where is russ at this point like do we have any idea like what what russ wants where he sees his career as where 
all of this, where all of this goes for us moving forward, because that's, that's what I'm like kind of struggling with. Like, is there a spot where he can go and be a starting regular season point guard? And is there a spot that works for him that makes sense? Like, does the team that acquires him just end up buying him out at the end of the day? Like, I, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out what the end game is here for Russ in a way that is a bit difficult, I think, right now. Yeah, well, and I I think the other interesting part of that whole situation is Thad himself is someone who is very private. And, um, you know, I I think you obviously know a lot of agents. And, um, you know, when I I got my my break, you know, first break, uh, started covering the Clippers, they had... uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who was rep by by Thad, and um, that was kind of the the feedback I got right, you know, right away. Is this isn't someone who yeah. is not really interested in the the fraternizing and and sort of you know playing the the news game and all that stuff, or, or um, you know speaking to reporters and all. Like he he's just been kind of a, a private behind the scenes guy. So I think for him to come out with a statement that publicly, um, I mean, obviously the relationship ended. On, on not great terms. And I think for, for him to feel the, the need to do that, um, you, you got to think it was pretty ugly behind the scenes for, for that yeah. to be his reaction. Cause I, I don't, I think that was obviously calculated, but I also think it was an emotional reaction to the situation. You know, he might probably in shock. Like I never thought Russ, I thought I would be his agent for his whole career. And things got to a point where, um, cause, cause I think mutual parting of ways, like essentially is, it's typically a firing, but like a nice way of saying a firing um, uh, more often than not. Right. I mean, there's very, yeah. or, or at least one, one party wants it more than the other. Maybe both sides are ready to move on, but like it's very rarely a 50, 50 divorce in the NBA. Right. Um, so I, I think that, that was interesting, but I think if we just look at like, there's been a lot of speculation on Russ and, and sort of what, what, what does he want? What's going on? But like, if we just go by what we know, and what is factual and, and indisputable. I mean, go back to his, his exit interview. He basically threw everybody under the bus. He threw the organization under the bus. He threw Frank Vogel under the bus. He threw LeBron and AD under the bus. He threw the fan base under the bus. Like it was basically just shots at everybody. And some of them were a little more veiled, but like he, I mean, he made it clear, like, I, you know, he was kind of burning the bridge on the way out. Like, I, it was very shocking to to see the way that he conducted himself in that exit interview. And like, for for those who have not seen it, I would go to YouTube and watch it. And like, it, it's I feel like it didn't get as much of attention as it probably should have. That was because the playoffs were starting, and like, you know, we're talking about the Vogel firing and stuff. But um, like that to me was like very kind of eye, you know, eyebrow raising press conference. Um, then he. Uh, you know, has the non-interaction with LeBron at summer league. I'm sitting, I sat right behind LeBron. Uh, just so happened that, that that's where I was seated. He comes in right before the buzzer sits there. And I'm seeing everybody come up to this guy. Like he's the Godfather and Rob Polinka, Darvin ham, all the players in attendance, you know? Uh, and the one guy who doesn't come up is Russell Westbrook who leaves on the opposite end of the floor uh, at halftime. And then you have a few days later, he fires his agent. And his agent releases the statement that he released, which reading between the lines of the statement was essentially like Russ doesn't have the self-awareness to accept where he's at currently and where the league views him at currently. And he's likely going to be traded 
Uh, although now you have to attach assets versus in the past when you were getting assets for for getting you know, giving up assets to get Russ. Um, and you know, essentially, kind of implicated like Russ doesn't want to be in LA. Russ wants to be you know, Russ wants a fresh start. He wants to be somewhere else, and he thinks if he pushes for a trade, it's going to be like uh, you know the, the perfect situation for him going somewhere else where realistically anyone who trades for him is probably going to try to buy him out. So I think just going off of that, like it's not optimistic. And and from what I've heard recently, um, you know, he still wants out and does not want to be, you know, a Laker uh, ideally. Um, I, I don't think he has interest in, you know, Darvin Ham has kind of almost talked about like this Drew Holiday-esque role of like, He's the captain of the defense, and he's going to be a defense first player. And uh, you know that they're going to figure out different ways to use him w- without the ball in his hands. And like a lot of that stuff was also similar to what Frank Vogel said last training camp and, and yeah. going you know yeah. media day. So I'm you know count me skeptical until I see Russ do that and do that. Not only do it, but like do it consistently because you know the beginning of last season, I think he was a little bit passive, a little bit, okay, I'm going to kind of fit in. And then quickly within the first five to 10 games, he reverted to, I'm going to play the way I've always played and I'm Russ. So I, I guess from what I've heard, I think he, he still wants out. Um, and I, I think there's just a matter of, there's not really much of a market for him. And, you know, the market is dictating that the Lakers give up a couple of picks and they've been hesitant to do that, especially for, non-needle moving uh you know moves in aside from the Kyrie trade I don't think they really view any of these moves as, as needle making so uh or needle moving uh so I think it's it's in a tough spot but uh I, I think both sides are, are ready to move on I, I you know I don't think there would be much love lost on, on either side and uh that's why I, I think the LeBron extension and, and kind of some of the stuff that's trickled out since then indicates to me that they are eventually going to move Russ and probably around the start of training camp. Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing that is the best piece of evidence that Russ doesn't really want to be there is just the Fouché statement, right? At the end of the day, that Fouché basically requested, uh, said that Russell Westbrook wants a trade. And that's where I was like a little bit fucked up with it because I was like, wait, this is a very private guy and you just like put on blast that he kind of wants out and that wasn't really public information anymore. Like yeah. I'm sure that you were hearing that behind the scenes, but that publicly that, that was not like, that's not like a widely available piece of information. Am I wrong about that? No, no. I mean, I, I do think like th- there aren't many signs he wants to be there either. Um, sure. You know, again, yeah. cause uh, he had he had the whole thing where he delete, like deleted all his his posts on Instagram and um you know had, I guess had the one video where he he was wearing a Laker you know saying one of one or whatever he said but yeah I mean I, I think again and, and look there, there's two sides to every story we we haven't gotten Russ's side I'm sure he has a different version of events and um you know I'm sure he'll be asked about it at media day wherever he is be it L A or or you know a new situation. Uh, but I don't think we're going to get much from him. So all we have to go on is that. And uh, again, like I, I do, I want to give Russ the benefit of the doubt. And I want to take what I said with, with a little bit of a grain of salt. But at the same time, from everything I know about him, he isn't one of these guys that really, you know, plays the game and, and is trying to get attention to himself. And is, you know, he's not really sitting courtside 
chopping it up with a bunch of media people. Like that's just not how he he operates. So for him to come out with a statement that was so shocking and and so public, like that to me was again partly a sign, but also a sign of like he's just letting the clip fly of like this is actually what you know like this this is the truth i'm just letting it all out and and almost like talking to russ kind of through the media of like hey if you won't listen to me and and you're still trying to force your way out and and find a new situation i'm just going to publicly out it and and hope that that gets through to you uh so yeah i've never seen anything like that um you know i don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again but if we will either it it, it was pretty crazy (laughs) um the difference, so so you mentioned the name Drew Holiday, which is the name that Darvin Ham has brought up. You know, obviously, having been a former assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, Frank Vogel has brought up the idea of this before. Uh, here's the difference: Drew Holiday shot forty one percent on pull up threes last year. <laughs> like Drew well, Holiday, we're not even talking defense either. Like yeah, we're not talking I mean, defense there's yet. A, there's a but, giant gap there. There's a chasm there, but like. E- just fundamentally, it, it's a different player at the end of the day. Like Drew Holiday is a drastically different player than Russell Westbrook, and that's okay. Uh, it's just that Drew Holiday and his game is tailor-made to play with superstars because he can shoot off the dribble, he can shoot off the catch, he is a phenomenal defender, he is a completely unselfish player, all of that. Russell Westbrook defensively has all of the tools to be a great player, but throughout his career has been more of a gambler that has tried to start transition opportunities and has been more of a, uh, he's willing to leave his man in order to chase rebounds kind of guy. And in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma city built a scheme around that for it to be successful. Like, Steven Adams is one of the best players in the NBA at boxing out. And they essentially had Russ crash every time on the defensive glass to start the early offense uh, by getting the ball, grabbing and going. And he was such a downhill force at that point that it made sense to do that. And now that's just not going to be the case anymore. And you're not going to build a defensive scheme around Russ's deficiencies and about and around his strengths. Frankly, you're going to have to make him work within the scheme. And I just don't know if any real team is going to want to do that. Like the level to which the Lakers were better defensively with Austin Reeves out on the court defensively this year was very high. Like Austin yeah. Reeves just knows where he has to be all the time. He's really smart. He's really intuitive. Um, you look at their tools, like Austin Reeves doesn't have half of the tools uh, physically that Russell Westbrook does, but he has the biggest one, which is up here in terms of his brain, in terms of the way that he thinks the game through. And I, I think Russ has always been like a really underrated basketball IQ guy uh i think that throughout his career like he is just kind of a basketball savant that knew how to make things work especially out in transition and out in the open court uh but he doesn't have the athletic tools to fall back on anymore and i think that austin reeves and guys like that just make it work a little bit more defensively in part because of effort as well. Like, let's just be real with it. Russ's effort defensively at times can wane. So yeah, I just don't know if, if you're an opposing team, 
you know, what do you give up for Russ? And, and I guess like, let's kind of move the transition uh, of the conversation that way. Like, I, I don't know outside of the Kyrie Irving potential move for two first round picks that I have seen a deal that makes sense across the board for everyone. Uh, the Kyrie one where it's Kyrie for Russ and the Nets get two first round picks. That makes sense to me. Uh, I, the the Pacers one where it's like Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, I felt like Lakers fans were like, yeah, like we'll give up like a first rounder or a few second rounders with that. And it's just like, no, like the, the Pacers are going to want a first round pick to take on Russ alone. And Miles Turner, like I had been kind of told they'd turn down like good first rounders in the 2022 NBA draft for Miles Turner. So I don't really so it's going to be multiple first round picks for yeah, a buddy heel to be two Miles Turner deal for the Jazz like you know you mentioned Boyan Jordan Clarkson Pat Beverly I like that deal to an extent. I like Buddy Heald and Miles Turner more, and I'd rather just give up the multiple picks to do that if Kyrie isn't on the table. Um, did you see a deal, though, outside of the Kyrie deal that makes sense for the Lakers uh, if they decide to do something like this? I, I think the Indiana deal would require two picks, but I think I'm at the point that uh, it, it's probably worth it. Like, I, I I almost think I, like any deal. I mean, even kind of salary dumping him to San Antonio, and and I mean that would probably be a little bit hard to to make you know the the money work there. But um, I, I'm of the mindset that it's going to be an addition by subtraction situation. Uh, yeah. I've even heard that you know I think if they can't trade him, like what, what one thing I reported was that uh, Darvin Ham has the green light this upcoming season to coach Russ hard and, and coach him the way that Frank Vogel wasn't really able to. Uh, if you remember Frank Vogel, uh, Frank Vogel had to, uh, you know, kind of consult the front office and, and get permission to bench Russ and, and they had meetings about it and, and you know, really were, were kind of strategizing about what's the best way to handle Russ. Like uh, for, from what I've been told, Darvin Ham is, is going to have that green light of, if Russ is dogging it defensively, if he's taking threes in transition, and if he's not boxing out his man and he's just gambling defense, like he, you know, reduces minutes. And if he doesn't respond to that, bring him off the bench. And if he doesn't respond to that, send him home. And we'll just roll with the the other, you know, thirteen guys we got on the roster. And you know that that's an addition by subtraction situation. So I, I think. You know, basically, John Wall in, in Houston. Uh, although I don't, I don't think it was as contentious as the yeah, like, wasn't r- wasn't Russ nearly as contentious. Was. I, I um, want to be clear about that. The, yeah, the John so, Wall thing was just not contentious at all. But but sort of that that principle idea of just like, yeah. hey, we'll pay you your forty seven million, but you're gonna be at home with your family while while that happens, and you're not gonna be playing. Um, so I, I think. I, honestly, like I think any of the deals are, are worth it. Now you can. Where I, I quibble is like, is it worth two picks to Utah for like that package? Or if Charlotte maybe re-enters the mix and it's it's Gordon Hayward yeah. and something else for like, I don't know if two picks is, is worth it then. But um, and, and there's interesting like you could do a pick swap. You can do a lottery protected pick like th- there are kind of ways to make it optically be two picks, but not technically be two picks. Obviously, you're, you're well versed in that. But uh, I, I guess 
I just think like if you're the Lakers and I know you, you want to get into like the hierarchy, but like I view their range right now as like probably a six to nine seed. And in yeah. three of those four scenarios, you're in the playing tournament. And to be in the playing tournament with LeBron and AD is a failure. Like, I mean, those are two top 10, yeah. top 12 guys. And like to, to not have the right supporting cast around them and to go from being a championship team uh, a couple of years ago and, and you know, then to being a playoff team that was up two one on on Phoenix, and then you, you know AD goes down, they they lose that series. But then to have back to back years, you know, one year not even making the playing tournament, and then potentially a second year being in the playing tournament, like that's a failure in roster building. And and I, yeah. I don't think it's all on the front office or ownership. Like there is some of that on on LeBron and AD, and like th- there's plenty of blame to go around. But um, and, and the coaching staff and stuff. But I, I just think you know, it's a collective failure and, and for them to, to, you know, probably be in that position again, if they don't make a move, that's to me where like the pressure kicks in of, you know, why do you have LeBron James on your roster? If you're not trying to win a championship, like it it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And you know, Rob Polinka talked about it at his exit interview that he was like, I I want to, you know, I'm like the steward of the end of LeBron's legacy. And like, if you are viewing it that way, then you got to go all in and yeah. who knows, maybe they make the best possible offer to Brooklyn and Brooklyn says, no, we, we want to keep Kyrie. Like, okay, then move on to Indiana. And if Indiana says no, then move on to Utah. Like, but you got to do something because I think, yeah. I think there's a chance that if they get the right pieces, like that 2020 team, you know, on, on one hand, I think was better than people gave them credit for, but on the other hand, like it really was LeBron and AD and some really nice fitting two-way role players and if yep. you can get that mix around them again maybe you don't win a championship you know the the top of the league is loaded but at least you give yourself a shot where in a seven game playoff series no one wants to face a healthy lebron and ad like it's just that's yeah. going to be tough no matter how bad the supporting cast is so I, i'm of the mindset that um you know i think brooklyn makes the most sense of course Indiana to me is a clear second, and then probably Utah. U- Utah versus Charlotte's probably close for me, but uh, I-, I think that they got to make some type of move b- because I-, I just think standing pat, you're going to be a play in team probably, and and that's just that's uh, like this is not good, right? Like it- it's not like, right. you're you're kind of wasting that in LeBron's career. Well, and you know you brought up like all of those specific deals, right? Like go get Kyrie. Like that's we've talked about that. Like, sure. If you yeah. can do that, go do that. The Utah move, right? The Utah move would be Boyan, Jordan Clarkson, Pat Bev. Jordan Clarkson and Boyan aren't really the two-way types that they won with in 2020, yeah. right? Like Boyan is a really, really good basketball player, uh, and he would thrive playing next to LeBron and Anthony Davis because of his shooting ability. Um, there aren't many better spot-up shooters in the NBA, just like point-blank period, than Boyan Bogdanovich. And... He'd work there, but then you have Clarkson and obviously Pat Bev, I think would actually really work there as well. Uh, it's a deal that makes sense. I don't know that I would want to give up a like two firsts for it. Like I think I would that that is probably where I'd cut the line a little bit. Yeah. I do think the Pacers deal makes them like pretty drastically better because I think Miles Turner makes them drastically better I mean, he, he's uh, a with my ideal front court fit with LeBron and AD. Yeah, like just, w- with yeah. his his ability to shoot and his incredible impact as a rim protector defensively, um, 
this is a team that when they won the title with Frank Vogel, they really liked playing big. It would help the wear and tear on both Miles Turner and Anthony Davis, I think, to play together uh, to some extent. Uh, and then you can play them together is the thing. Like you don't have to stagger them. Like you actually can competently play them together because you can camp out Miles Turner in the corner and he's a threat to shoot from three. You can camp him out above the break uh, and do some different actions with him because he can shoot threes. Like uh, He can play he that is, Brooke Lopez role, you know? Yeah. I think he's not a great passer. Like that doesn't, you know, he, you can't functionally run like sets with him necessarily, but that's part of the thing of having Anthony Davis. Like you can do all of that with Anthony Davis and you don't need miles Turner to be like your downhill rim runner. You don't need him to be like your short roll threat. You can use him as a spot up shooter and then get the defensive value that he brings as one of the 10 best defensive players in the NBA. Um, the Charlotte deal, I don't think makes any sense for Charlotte at this point because I don't like talking about the Miles Bridges thing, uh, outside of, or in the context of basketball. Uh, it's just gross. Yeah. Like that guy yeah. should be in prison. It, but at the end of the day, they can't move Gordon Hayward now. I don't think like they actually need Gordon Hayward, uh, positionally if they want to try and make the play in tournament slash playoffs. Like, yeah. Yeah, like just period. I don't think you can move Russ or move him for Russ. I, I think that if none of this had happened with Miles Bridges, you know, maybe they were that's in good, that. That's position. a good counterpoint. That's a good counterpoint. But you know, Miles Bridges should be in prison. I mean, I guess you, you could also do Rozier. Um, I, I know that was a you know, it was kind of like either Gordon Hayward or, or Terry Rozier were the, were the base of that. I mean, I I never understood it from the perspective of. Like I just don't see Russ and Lamelo being a good fit together, and that yeah. feels like something that would stunt Lamelo's growth and, and development. And because we know, you know, if, if you're bringing in Russ, especially in a situation like Charlotte, like he's gonna, he's probably gonna become the lead ball handler or at least co-lead ball, like more so than he was in LA. So I think I don't know, maybe maybe they want to buy him out and just get an asset. And and but yeah, Charlotte. Now that I'm, I mean, I, I think you brought up a good counterpoint with, with the. Gordon Hayward situation and kind of his value there now. Um, I mean, New York, New York's been another one that's been mentioned with, uh, you know, kind of trading one problem for another with, with getting back Julius Randall, who I think. Oh, I don't like player. that at all, but yeah, that's not like a great fit. Um, yeah. I, I was wondering if maybe there's a, a way to do like a Utah, New York, LA three way where you get Donovan to New York and then, you know, kind of th- th- there's something there, but uh yeah, I mean, I think it's. But the thing with Brooklyn, though, is you just don't know what Brooklyn wants. And I've I've heard different things on it where you know I've heard uh, they want to clean house and just like you know take back the organization from KD and Kyrie and like it was just such a toxic environment and has become even more toxic this off season. And then yeah. I've also heard they're looking for a win now trade for for KD and they want to keep Kyrie now. And like, you know, if, if they do the Boston trade, for example, like, l- you know, let's go to war with uh, Kyrie and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and Ben Simmons. And like, that's not a contender, but that's at least like, you know, probably a five or six seed in the East. So uh, I don't know. I, I think it really depends on like what Brooklyn wants, because if Brooklyn's cleaning house and they just want to recoup assets, Lakers giving them two picks is probably as much as they're going to get from anybody for Kyrie. I don't think they're going to get a much better right. offer. Uh, 
if they're trying to compete and, and remain, you know, in the playoff mix, then obviously you're not trading for us. And and there's also just a matter of if they would trade for us at all, and if it might require a third team. That if you drag in a third team, they're going to want an asset. And like if the Lakers are sending two picks to Brooklyn, you can't just pull a third pick out of a hat and, and send it to this other right. team. So they're in a tough spot. Yeah, the, I, I think. Yeah, the only way it works is if Brooklyn is rebuilding. Like that's yeah. the only, or like rebuilding on the fly it, and moving Kevin Durant, which by the way, like according to all reports right now, everything is very quiet in terms of the Kevin Durant situation. I know there was the recent report saying that, you know, what, what was the report? I can't even remember. It was, it was like a pressure report basically from Kevin Durant's camp. It felt like to try and. Well, then he, he wanted the, the GM and the coach fire. He wanted Sean Marks. Yeah, there we go. Fired That's and, it. and that yeah. uh, that would be his one way he would stay, which obviously wasn't yeah. going to happen. Right. I mean, I think it's so, become untenable where like they're going to have to trade Kevin Durant or or he's just going to hold out and, and, you know, miss training camp or whatever. But um, so, so like here's here's my thing on that. And I think I'm going to try and do a Nets podcast next week. Nothing that we know about Kevin Durant says that he would be willing to like sit out games or anything like the guy just loves basketball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he just loves it. So like purely. And I know that like, once you start mixing in money and legacy and things like that, it becomes unpure, but I don't know that I can see Kevin Durant sitting out basketball games because I don't know that like, and look, I don't know Kevin Durant. Like, this is just me speculating on just who he seems to be as a person. Um, I can't imagine him not playing, I guess, is what I would say. Like, I, he just seems like the kind of guy that I know that he wants to maybe not be in Brooklyn anymore. But if Brooklyn can't find the right move... Like, I don't think he would disrespect the game in the way that, like, like James Harden in those last days in Houston was not really trying. I don't don't think he would do that. Right. I do think, though, it's, it's, it's an interesting, like, he he kind of threw a grenade in the whole operation where, like, you know, calling for your, your GM and your head coach to be fired, like, that's a pretty, it's kind of hard to walk that back. And and it's also weird because obviously him and Steve Nash through the years had a really good relationship dating back to Golden State and, um, you know, all the reporting at the time was basically that KD and, and Kyrie had handpicked Steve Nash as their guy, and that's who they wanted. So now, uh, now the reports are like walking that back a little yeah, bit. It's, yeah, it's just I, I like, know. unless there's a, I mean, you, you never want to say never in the NBA because th- this is the greatest soap opera in the world, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I just, I, I, I almost feel like it's disrespectful to Steve Nash to like bring the guy, like, you know, yeah. Like I could almost see it almost coming from more from the net side of just like, Hey, don't report like, you know, maybe you don't want, yeah. you don't yeah you know, we don't want you here now. Um, and I don't know, maybe he does, maybe they meant fences and he does some interview or, or something where he kind of clears the air and, and says, you know, Hey, Steve and I have talked, we patched things up. Like, you know, I, I regret what I said. Like there is a way that he kind of walks it back, but I felt like the, the smoke around that time had already been, I started to hear, oh, maybe KD's going to stay. That they're really, you know, they're they're optimistic, and then like he kind of drops that bomb where it's yeah. like you got to fire the the two lead people here, and I'll stay. And like I just feel like that's a hard thing to walk back, but it's possible. But I I, I do feel like 
the way that's headed, he's going to be traded at some point. Can I, can I just say, like, sneakily, I said this at the time, I'm still, like, very interested in watching that Nets team play basketball if we ever get to see them play basketball together. I mean, if he stayed, like, they'd, they'd be so good. <laughs> yeah. I think they're, like, actually a very interesting constructed team between, you know, Ben Simmons and Kyrie and then Kevin Durant, obviously, and uh, some of the guards that they have, like Patty Mills, and, like, they're... they're there are ways to envision that working. Yeah. And I think that uh, I am, I will be disappointed that it seems unlikely. We're not going to get a chance to see that. Uh, The last thing on the Lakers here, and then I'll let you go. Let's say that Russ ends up on the Lakers to start the season. And, you know, it's Anthony Davis, LeBron, Russ, it's, you know, Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, Troy Brown, you know, the whoever else is on the Lakers roster right now. What does this look like? <laughs> like, what what is their closing lineup? What is their like starting yeah. lineup? How do yeah. they function? Like, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that at this point, and I find it interesting. Like, outside of feeling strongly that Austin Reeves should probably be a part of like most of their successful lineups. Uh, I don't know what to do uh, with this weird Lakers roster construction. I mean, I think there, there's a reasonable argument to be made that he's their third best and or most important player uh, behind yeah. LeBron and AD, which, you know, to go from being an undrafted rookie to that in, in your second year is pretty crazy. But uh, I maybe, think maybe Thomas Bryant, like if Thomas Bryant's yeah, healthy, yeah, yeah, I've heard like he, he's, he's, he's looked good in, in his workouts. Yeah. And um, so I, I've heard, my understanding of the starting lineup is tentatively uh, Thomas Bryant at center, Anthony Davis and LeBron at the two forward spots, and then Austin Reeves and Russ in, in the backcourt. And, um, you know, what one, so I think Darwin kind of similar to what Milwaukee did and even seeing some of the success the Lakers have had with, with playing big, like wants to stay big. The thing with Thomas Bryant is he can shoot the ball, you know, obviously didn't shoot the ball well last season coming back from injury, but the two previous seasons on very low volume shot around forty uh, yeah. percent combined on you know one point five two attempts a game like low and volume. I say but- like yeah, if you if you watch Thomas Bryant shoot uh, like in workouts and you know when because he he's been playing in runs at the Student Activity Center at UCLA for years now because he works out with Rico Hines and those guys. Um, when you watch Thomas Bryant shoot, you feel pretty good about Thomas Bryant shooting up yeah. until he got hurt at the very least. So I, yeah, so I, I, I think buy that's a Thomas legit Bryant weapon. shooter. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and then Austin is is probably their you know as we were saying maybe not a third best player, but. Uh, definitely is kind of that connector that uh, you know can be a secondary ball handler. Uh, shots shot the ball well the first half of last season. You know, really cratered around January and and um, if you look at his shooting splits, it was like November, December, good. January, February, awful. March kind of started to turn the corner and then closed like the last month of the season. He shot the ball well, but uh, this was a guy who I mean, I mean, you you know, a scouting report, but. Uh, you know, was a really good shooter at Wichita State, and you know, I think is someone that the Lakers are confident. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote about him th- this off season, and I know he's been doing three a days at the facility. Yeah. Uh, you know, two a days shooting uh, and then working out. Uh, so I think 
he's someone that is bulked up a little bit, is going to be, I think, could be that point of attack defender for them, and then also be someone who can uh, facilitate a little bit. Like he's compared his game to Joe Ingles. He, he's kind of said like that's the person he's trying to model his game after, and like yeah. there is some of that in in him. So I think that's the the starting five. Uh, the closing five, uh, for, from my understanding, is going to be probably 80 at the five, Juan Toscano Anderson at the four, LeBron at the three, Austin at the one or the two, and then depending on how Russ is playing, like maybe Russ, but there were scenarios in which the Lakers bench him last season uh, down the stretch, and uh, that's where you could maybe see a Troy Brown Jr. as kind of that 3 and D guy around them. Uh Maybe a Kendrick Nunn, uh, someone who, who's a bit better of a shooter, but but can also handle the ball and and you know create a little bit. So uh, I think that that fifth spot's kind of open. But it sounds like the, the Lakers have, regardless of how they've started games, they tend to close games with eighty at the five. And yeah, I think they're high on on Juan Toscano Anderson and his fit and uh, his ability to defend multiple positions, his ability to to play make a little bit. He's also shot the ball well on low volume. Uh, so I think that's kind of it. But like, how good is that? Line? Like, you were talking that's about what I'm yeah, JTA let, couldn't crack the rotation in Golden State, and and now he's closing games for the Lakers potentially. Like, that's, that, I mean, that's where the concern is with this group. And again, LeBron and AD, we've seen it before that those two just together are can be so dynamic and, and powerful and, and dominant. But I'm, you know, it didn't work last year, right? With, with the kind of a similar, I think last year's supporting cast was was markedly worse in just that. How many like they they got six or seven guys who are on last year's team that are out of the league now? Like Avery Bradley, Trevor Ariza, uh, Kent Bazemore finally got signed. Like Dwight Howard's out of the league. Wayne Ellington, DJ Augustine, like all these guys were starting or, or playing heavy minutes, and and they're out of the league now. So like I do think this year's roster is better. I really like the Damian Jones pickup. Uh, I think Troy Brown is solid for what they need him to do. Lonnie Walker was the one guy. I, I'm curious on on you know you having scouted Lonnie, like what you think of him? Cause I guess he's Malik Monk light, but like he shot 31% on threes last year. Uh, I know it was a down yeah. shooting year, but like, I just think for what they needed and for the guys that went for the taxpayer MLE, like looking at an auto Porter, a, a Bruce Brown, like those guys would have made a lot more sense for what the Lakers needed versus just an undersized kind of microwave scorer who's a streaky shooter and doesn't really play defense. Yeah. The thing with Lonnie is that he is a real athlete. He is, he has the potential to shoot where I've always liked him most is kind of attacking off of spot ups and using the threat of his jumper to be able to create. Uh, I feel like he's going to be able to do that a little bit easier in Los Angeles than yeah, where he was able to do so in San Antonio. But the defense is kind of the thing. Like when they signed him, I assumed it was for like the minimum. And I was That's like, oh, I yeah, thought like too. this is great. Like this makes a lot of sense. You know, they still have their taxpayer MLE, like they can go do stuff. And then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, you, you, you just, paid a lot of money to Lonnie uh, for a year to be able to try and make this work. Uh, 
Yeah, look, I think he's a better shooter than 31% from three. I think he's probably more of like a 35 to 37% three-point shooter, uh, especially if you get him the shot off of closeouts. He is capable of putting the ball on the deck. He can get downhill, get to the rim. He has improved a little bit in terms of his ability to like see the court and make plays. I Look, he's, he's just going to be a little bit more limited, and – if the defense isn't there, he's, he's another guy that like has tools and should be good defensively, uh, but just straight up hasn't been good defensively yeah. throughout the course of his career. I, I, I don't, I don't feel great about it. I'll say that. Like, I, I feel like he'll be like a sixth man, seventh man off the bench for the Lakers. And, and th- that's kind of what it comes down to. Like, this is a group of sixth or seventh men without like any starters really next yeah. to LeBron and AD and, and just kind of running running through the West here, like this team is not better than the Golden State Warriors. That's one. This team is not better than the Phoenix Suns. That's two. Um, this not team is not better, than, not better than the Clippers, not better than the Memphis Grizzlies. That's three and four. Uh, not better than the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's five. Not better than the Dallas Mavericks. That's six. Now you're in the playing Denver. area and then you have Denver. That's seven. Um, I don't know the Pelicans. Like Pel- I think the Pelicans, Pelicans close, but very easily. They were better them. last year, and, and they're getting Zion back, and they're getting Zion back. So that's not great. So like, look, th- this is where the Lakers are, and this I think goes to show as like a closing point. This is why the Lakers need to make a move. This is why the Lakers need to make a decision on trying to go all in with, if they can, for a Kyrie Irving. Um, a team that is, instead of those guys, if it's LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Miles Turner, um, Buddy Heald, and Austin Reeves is a closing lineup. You can maybe swing that. Like you can maybe make that work at a pretty high level, uh, especially whenever you're the other guys coming off the bench and providing actual depth uh, as opposed to guys that may be just like punching a little bit above their weight uh, in the closing lineup. Like if you can bring Juan Toscano Anderson as a change of pace as your seventh man, that feels pretty good to me. Uh, if he's your closing guy that you're relying on every single night, I'm a little bit worried. I really like Juan. Like, I love the story. I think that his versatility as a player is really underrated, but he's just very limited because he doesn't put the ball on the deck well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's it's really well, – and they and, need to make a move. And and, and look, I think the, the, the biggest thing for me is, like, I think that there's clearly a talent upgrade and – there is a scenario that there's a universe. I don't know if it's this universe in which Russell Westbrook does buy into his role and yeah. and does like he he's physically capable. Like I think the thing that gets lost in the Russ conversation the most is like Russ is still very talented. I think he could go. Uh, he, he reminds me. I'm not the first person to make this comparison, but he reminds me a lot of Allen Iverson, like late, especially late career Allen Iverson, where um, it's just the, the way that he plays and in his skill set does not lend itself to transition. Like he can't really do the Vince Carter or like the Paul Pierce kind of transition into being a role player just because he like, he just doesn't have that, that skill set. He kind of needs the ball and he's not a good shooter and, and, you know, just kind of at the core of it. So I think like there's a scenario in which Russ is, uh, you know, bought in and, and playing better and, and has a better season and, and maybe kind of regresses more to his mean and, and with his finishing and shooting and stuff. But 
the two biggest issues on this team last season were, uh, you know, aside from obviously health, which you can't really control, like perimeter defense and three point shooting. And they did not really improve either one of those. If anything, on paper, they're, they're a worse shooting team than last season. Like they lost their two best role player shooters in Carmelo Anthony and uh, Malik Monk. And then, like I think the front court defense got better with with Jones and and Bryant and and JTA. But like, I mean, like Troy Brown, I think has some defensive potential. He's shown some flashes uh, of that kind of three and D skill set. Lonnie, as as we've discussed, isn't a plus defender. And then you just look at the rest of the team. It's like, you know, aside from Austin, like Taylor has has been an inconsistent defender. Kendrick Nunn is six foot one. Russ is. We we already talked about Russ's defense, like. You look at the rest of this group and it's like this is like they're kind of they're not good defensively and they I, I wrote like they might have the worst sh- uh, shooting collection uh, you know talent in the league like uh last season LeBron was the only guy on this roster that shot above league average from three point range. Uh Troy Brown Jr was exactly at league average and I know some like Thomas Bryant should bounce back. Lonnie Walker should bounce back but like they don't have the buddy healed the Kyle Korver, the JJ Redick, like they don't have that type of shooter that I think you would ideally like to have around an AD and a LeBron. So um, there's a lot of guys who've, who've JTA shot well, but he shot well in low volume. Thomas Bryant, low volume. Like so, I think th- the shooting for me is the biggest concern, and that's where it, it if they do the the Pacers deal to me, that's like it, it's probably a better consolation prize than people are, are giving it credit for, just because I think Buddy healed around LeBron and AD would be such a great fit. You could go Buddy and Austin Reeves in the backcourt. Austin can can be that secondary ball handler. Um, now you have some more size in the backcourt. You know, Buddy's not a great defender, yeah. but he at least is, is big. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's... They're in a tough spot, but but as you said, they got to... I think they got to go all in, and LeBron kept his side of the, the bargain, and now it's on the Lakers to make some type of move. You know, I, I don't know if they can get Kyrie, but I think they can get something that's better than the current roster and the, the impetus is on them to do it. Yeah, I think that's a good place to close. I think that's the perfect place to close. Jovan, uh, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people where they can find you on social media because yeah. uh, uh, it's important. Uh, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Jovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And you can read all my work at The Athletic on the Lakers page and the NBA page. So uh, be sure to check it out. Oh, it's so great to talk to you. Yes, it's sir. great. To what, time is it, what time is it over there? It is 930, probably 930 in the morning. Uh, okay. Day after day after a football game, I went out, went to uh, the last Essendon football game of the year last night. It was, uh, it was a nice little time. So we're, we're just nice. rolling, baby. It's a Sunday. <laughs> you have a Saturday night to look forward to. You can go out. You can find some UFC fights uh, out at the bar. Like you're, you're yeah. in a good spot, baby. I am. I am. I'm gonna go meet up with some buddies. Love it. That's fantastic. All right. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. We will be back on Monday night with the uh, weekly Adam Spinella podcast. We're gonna talk a little bit about prospects, things like that. Uh, then later in the week, I might try and do a Nets podcast. We're going to try and get up to three times a week here. It's a little bit hard right now, obviously, right? Like we're in the middle of the off season. The off season's a bit rough, but uh, especially once September starts turning over, we're definitely going to get up to three times a week. But until next time, folks, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.